Hey, good morning, Center Church. My name is John, if we've never met before, and I get to serve as a pastor here. But today, you get to hear from someone incredibly special. Kyle Kotrich is about three and a half years into leading the Story Church, one of our Zero Collective sister churches. And today, we're doing a little switch. So I'm up at Story, and he's down here with you. And so on the count of three, I wanted to give him a very big, warm Center Church welcome. Three, two, one. Well, good morning. Uh, first thing that I just noticed in that video is John said on count three, and then he counted backwards from three. <laughs> you might have to go back to school for that one. Um, but like John said, my name is Kyle. Uh, I've actually known John for I don't even know how many years, to be honest with you. Um, back in high school, my early college days, John and I attended the same church. And so I'm pretty sure I was like one of the youth interns when he was still in high school. And so I feel really old saying that about your lead pastor, but I'm excited to be here this morning. Um, behind me, you'll see a picture of my family. I think we have one. Um, and so uh, that's me, obviously. Um, and then my wife, and then my two boys, the one with the big Afro is Cashin. And then the one with the small Afro is Kendrick Lamar. Um, and then on my lap, uh, is our baby girl. She is, um, 10 months old and she's a foster child. And so, um, sorry, I, I have a heart on her face. We have to, but, um, she is the most adorable little baby girl in the whole entire world. There's no bias there. She is straight up the most adorable little girl. Um, and so I'm excited to be here though today. And, um, I actually went to high school at Byron Center, so this area is kind of familiar with me, and uh, I loved kind of hanging out at the sports fields, and uh, I probably spent way too much money at Hausman's and McDonald's in my high school years when I would skip class and bribe the dean of students afterwards as, as I brought him back in McFlurry, um, but it has been a great time. Uh, I've always had a good time in Byron Center playing softball, whatever it might be, and so this morning, I kind of want to dive on in. Does that work? Cool. The other thing that I want to be very honest about is um, I'm, I'm a mover. And so what that means is there's a good chance I might jump off stage. I might stay on stage. I don't know. You don't know. So be on your toes. The other thing is I'm, I'm what they call like a hollowback type of preacher. You know, like, have you ever heard that song, Hollowback Girl by Gwen Stefani? I'm not that one. But what I am is if there's something you like, if something that resonates with you, give me an amen, a clap, a, a Ric Flair, woo, whatever it might be. And uh, I, I just, that's how I roll. And that means I preach shorter too. So um, anyway, so today I want to dive in. And have you ever been at a restaurant? And the inevitable happens where the waiter and waitress, they're, they're trying to juggle all these things and they accidentally drop a plate and it shatters. And we all know that feeling because all eyes instantly turn on them, right? All eyes turn to them and you're looking at what they're going to do. And they, as quickly as they can, they get the broom and they try to sweep it up. And then they run back to the trash can, throw it away, and then try to act like it actually never happened. Right? Anybody be there? Okay, so, so there's those moments, and we do this all the time, right? We just watch it happen, they discard it, never to be seen again. The trash man picks it up, and it goes in the landfill, nobody talks about it. But I think we do that a lot of times in our own lives. We discard broken things in our lives, and we never have the idea that they could be redeemed or restored or renewed into something better, something even greater than what they were before. We do that in relationships, uh, this, this relationship, this friendship just isn't working. So I'm going to kick it to the curb. I'm going to totally forget about it, never to talk about it again. 
We also do it in, in our fixes. We move from maybe the, the, the moments of, well, you know, the drinking doesn't do it anymore for me, so I need to go heavier or I need more. I need the next fix. We, we do it all the time, even in broken jobs where, where, oh, this job just isn't doing what I think it should be doing for me. So I'm going to leave it alone. I'm going to go to the next one. And then we, we get to that next one and we feel unsatisfied, unfulfilled once again. We do it all the time. How often, though, do we discard broken things and we just have the idea that they'll never be reclaimed, never be renewed, never be redeemed for what they could be because there's bigger fish in the pond. There's other fish to be caught. There's other things that we can have. You see, not only do we discard them, but I think we also have a tendency sometimes to hold on to broken things. I remember when I was about 15, my parents separated and it was a brutal divorce, really ugly. And some words were exchanged between my my dad and I, and I've held on to broken words, broken lies spoken over to me for far too long. Lies of you'll never be good enough. You'll never have what it takes. Lies of ideas of my value and my worth is only good and tied to how well I achieve, how well I perform. Lies of what he thought of me, what other people thought of me, how other people saw me, and that's how it shaped my whole entire world, my whole entire life. You see, we either discard broken things or we hold on to them. And when we hold on to them, they cause so much more harm, brokenness, and pain even in our own lives. And I think, I think deep down, all of us have this desire this desire to be a part of something bigger or even in our own life to have and experience something greater than what we can offer ourselves. And in order to move forward in that, in order to have that experience, in order to achieve the victory over our thoughts, we have to allow them to be redeemed. See, we've been going through this series, winning the war in your mind, and we've gone through these different R's essentially. And this one today is redeem. And in order to do that, we have to release our thoughts from our own hands, our own control, And we have to let God redeem our stories through his love and his presence. We have to change our posture from from fist closed, holding on to them so tightly to releasing them and letting God do what only he can do. And and today we're going to be in a passage in the book of Lamentations. I know this is probably a book that a lot of us absolutely love. The book of Lamentations. It's literally a book of laments. It's literally a book book of just crying out, a book of just asking God and just pleading with God. It's a book probably many of us have spent a lot of time in, right? Wrong, Kyle. But here's what's so beautiful about this book, as you go on and find it, is what's so beautiful about it is it gets us in touch with the human suffering and mental warfare that many of us walk through today even. It, it's this almost glorified Hebrew funeral song or poem mourning the destruction of Jerusalem, the physical warfare, the destruction, the absolute shambles that the city would be in, but also the psychological warfare, the mind stuff that was going, the, the mental stuff that was happening. It's a powerful book. And, and what it does, though, is it gives us a pattern. It gives us a blueprint of how to release our thoughts, release our struggles, release our, our, our crying out in a way that is healthy. It gives us a pattern or an opportunity to do so with honest, painful, and real prayers. 
And here's what's so good is that this author is referring back to his nation. A nation that is being currently full of violence and evil. All as a result of breaking God's covenant. So as we dive in today, we can understand that there's a lot going on, but we can also understand the posture. Posture that we also can take. This is what it says, Lamentations 3, 19 through 27. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. And it is good for people to submit an early age to the yoke of his discipline. Here, Jeremiah writes this book and, and he could have prescribed a whole bunch of other stuff. He could have prescribed what I think he should have done, right? Positive thinking, good vibes only. He could have prescribed just happy emotions, don't dwell on it, but instead, in, instead, he goes a different route. Instead, he shares it's helpful to remember. Remember the afflictions. Remember the pain. Understand what it was and what it was for. That it's okay for us to remember and let our souls remember the bottom. Has any of us been to the bottom? The, the bottom of the hole, the bottom of the pit where there seems to be no hope, where there seems to be no light? It's, it's okay for our soul to remember where to build up from. It's okay when we remember we see the right foundation of what to build upon and what not to build upon. And when we remember, we see how and what and where God is working and moving. Because even in the midst of remembering, even in the midst of the brokenness, we get hope. Hope. Hope comes from remembering. It, it comes from remembering where and how God has been present even in the midst of all of it. The pain, the brokenness, the defeat. Even when Jerusalem and Judah were defeated, they still had hope. And wherever God is leading in life, he's going to also have his hope. For a lot of us today, we probably need to remember that. And this chapter is full of, of chesed, this great love, God's great mercy is in this chapter. It's a covenant love. It's a loyalty of God to us. And, and we can have hope because of his great love, his chesed. And here's what's so beautiful. Something that I really love about this passage is that simple phrase, great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. In the midst of all the struggles, can we look up to God and say, God, great is your faithfulness. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for being consistent. In the midst of it all, can we remember that there is hope in patience and seeking God, that there is hope in God's goodness, that there is hope in the misery, even while we are walking through the shadow of the valley of death? Can we remember that great is his faithfulness and great is the hope that can be found in him? Because when we release our thoughts, remember this, when we release our thoughts from our hands and our control and we let God redeem them, we can find true hope. 
One of God's greatest names is Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah Rapha, and it literally means the Lord who heals. The Lord who heals. If I were to think back in my own life, and maybe you can identify with this, there are many times where I had to call on the name of God to heal certain parts of my life. That God's touch alone can redeem and heal brokenness. Maybe for some of us, we have to remember that his touch alone can redeem pain of losing a child to loving an orphan or even a foster kid. As you notice, my family is, um, is beautifully mixed. <laughs> uh, my wife is 100% Dutch, and so my boys don't get their afros from her, and they don't get it from me. We, we have fostered and adopted our two boys, and we are fostering our, our baby girl, and we just got news this past Wednesday that we will be able to adopt her. And so our, our brokenness, though, and the way that God had to heal that was seven years of infertility, struggle after struggle. And God brings these beautiful, beautiful kids into our lives where we are able to walk and experience God's great love and healing and working through all of that. His touch alone can redeem the pain of that and heal that. But his touch alone can redeem hurt of absent parents in your life to a point where you guide and how you parent. I had an absent father. Even when he was around, he actually wasn't around, if you know what I'm saying with that, right? And so I have no idea how to do this dad thing. Anybody else know? If, if you know how to parent effectively, please drop me an email. I'm, I'm not joking. That's not a joke. Like, I'm serious about that. I have zero idea what I'm doing. And sometimes I sit there at night after my kids have come out of their room for their 120th time because they need one more sip of water. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> and I sit there and I'm like, God, like, could you just put them to sleep? Like, can you do that? Because I don't know where to go and I'm getting I'm getting frustrated. I'm struggling. I don't know if I'm doing this parenthood thing right. I don't know if I'm getting it right. Because I don't know what a good example really looked like. But God, his touch alone can heal and work through all of that. His touch alone also can, can heal trauma inflicted to you by somebody, maybe of a family when you were younger. Maybe they did something to you that they weren't supposed to, and there's a deep wound about that, but now God's healing touch can bring you to a place to experience true, authentic, deep love. I've made friends who have struggled because of something that was done to them, but they've experienced God's redemptive, beautiful healing love. From Jehovah Rapha, the God, the Lord heals. His touch alone can redeem. It's what he's in the business of doing. It is who he is. So much of Jesus's ministry, go read the gospels, just go on and, and browse through them. So much of his ministry was involving ministry of healing and not just physical healing of telling the layman to pick up his mat and go and walk, but spiritual healing, healing of the heart, healing of the deep wounds, being born again, following him. And I think a lot of times we long for that healing, but we get stuck buying into lies. We get stuck buying into these myths, uh, uh, these myths that happen when it comes to trauma and brokenness in life. 
Dr. Bonnie Gray breaks it down into essentially three myths. The first one is we have these anxiety or panic attacks or trauma happens because I'm failing in my faith. If I only had a stronger faith in God, this wouldn't have happened to me. If you only believed harder, or maybe if you pray harder or pray more, maybe if you fast or give more to church, whatever it might be, all of these lies, because my faith is feeling that, or failing, that's why this has happened. Can I just share a simple truth with you? It has nothing to do with a lack of faith. When things happen in life, sometimes is it okay to say that life just stinks and it deals you a bad hand? It has nothing to do with a lack of faith. Sometimes it has nothing to do with even what you have done in life or aren't doing in life, but rather other people are making decisions that impact you. It's a ripple effect. Other times we fall into another myth of that if I prioritize time to rest, it's a luxury I just don't have. And caring for myself is very selfish. Can I, can we just be honest here? I think most of us probably could agree that I could use more rest. All of us probably could use more rest. Dude, I got three kids under the age of five. I don't even know what that word rest or sleep is, right? But over and over and over again, I I read the gospels, I read the, the word of God, and I see how many times that Jesus slips away to what? To rest and be with his father. How many times even prophets would... Elijah is, is fed up and he's just like, God, I'm done. I don't know what to do anymore. And God sends in an angel and he goes, hey, why don't you just take a nap, bro? You need to kind of recenter, refocus a little bit. Go on, take a nap. I'll get a little snacky snack for you and we'll be good to go. Sometimes what I love is, is Bob Goff. Anybody know who Bob Goff is? Bob Goff is one of my best friends. He doesn't know it, but I know it. We're best friends. He's an author and in some of his books, he writes that, Rest is holy, so go get some. And I'm like, man, I need that like tattooed somewhere. Rest is holy, go get some. Prioritizing ourselves is not selfish. It's actually very healthy, and it's something that we are also called to participate in. And the last myth that when we are feeling troubled or worried, that we are wrong, and that God doesn't want us to complain. God doesn't want us to complain. Um, (laughs) Have you all ever met David? The psalmist? David complains a lot. Lamentations, book we just read from, it's full of literal like pleadings and, and expressions to God. One of the things I absolutely love about the word of God is this. It's not sanitized. It's not clean. The characters in it are not perfect. One of the things I absolutely love about this is it's very messy. Israel is a very messy nation. The people are very messy. David was a messy person. Adam and Eve were messy. The disciples were extremely messy. Paul, do do we really have to go there? Paul was extremely, extremely messy. 
His life was messy. These, these stories, these characters, these people, they're messy. This, this book is bloody. It's, it's rated R from the very get-go in the garden to the very last moment in Revelation. This is not a book of sanitized story put together to have us feel fairy tale unicorns and rainbows. This book is really, really real and messy. There's complaints happening. There's crying out happening. There's deep moments happening. And God, I don't know who needs to hear this, but my God is big enough for your doubts, your questions, your, your frustrations, every single emotion he has given to us. He's big enough to handle it. There's nothing that is too big for God to sit there and say, I see you are mad. That's okay. Because Jesus was mad too at certain moments. The prophets were mad also at certain moments. It's okay to complain sometimes. Because I, again, I don't know who needs to hear the simple truth that God is big enough for it. You don't have to sanitize your prayers. We don't have to come to him with everything put together. We just have to come to him and say, God, here's what's going on. And he goes, yep. I'm there with you. I get it. I get it. God also, for me, sometimes talks a little bit like I do. It's not proper English. Neither one of us are English teachers for a reason. And I think God sometimes talks to us in a way that is very, very at least for me, smacks me with a spiritual two-by-four. It's moments where he's like, God, what are you thinking? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. And when I plead to him, when I complain to him, he goes, just let it, let it go on to me. Like, release it to me. There's a theologian, his name is uh, Francois Fenelon, and, and this is what he says. And don't miss it. This is a very, very potent quote here. He says that our pain in life is often not the actual hardship or difficult circumstance itself but rather it's our resistance to bringing it before God in prayer. Ooh, that's a good place for an amen, y'all. Like, it's often not the actual circumstance that's happening, but rather it's our resistance to bring it to God in prayer. Why? Because we like to close our fists around it as tight as we can and say, God, I can redeem this. I'm strong enough. I'm bold enough. I'm good enough. I can do it on my own. And all he is saying is, how about you just let me deal with it and you just abide in me and walk with me? Because that's often where the lies and the myths around trauma, that's where it keeps us from releasing it. Hey, Kyle, I'm inviting you to get rest in me. Yeah, but my world is saying keep going. So I gotta just keep going. Because if I take a day off, if I rest, I look weak. But God's inviting me to release that and find rest in him and let him walk, work that out. Kyle, explain this to me. Like, it's okay for you to lament. It's okay for you to complain and cry out to me. I can't do that because the second I start crying, I look weak. So I'll just hold on to it tighter, God. Over and over and over again, God invites us into that, to release it and let him work. You remember that restaurant that you sat at and you watch people, waiters and waitresses, and they drop a plate, they drop a bowl, and it shatters everywhere? There's actually a, um, there's actually a, a beautiful um, Japanese kind of, 
I don't know exactly what it would be called, like working they, in pottery. They call it um, kansugi. And what they do is they take the broken pieces and then they bring all the broken pieces back together with gold. And so you can imagine a bowl that was shattered and broken and now it's assembled back together with gold trickling through the middle, holding it all together. What if that is a picture of what God wants to do with our life? Something that we, it falls apart in our life, something that it falls apart in our world, and then God's saying, just give it in my hands and watch what I can do. He's going to put it back together and make it more beautiful than what it was ever before. What if that's what God wants to do? That so many times over in my life, I held on to words that were spoken over me and to me for far too long where my value was, where my worth came from, where, where who I am and who I am not was coming from. There are days, can I just be very brutal, honest? There are days where I struggle with my worth. There are days where I still struggle with my value as a husband. That I'm not doing this right, that I don't know how, I'm not acting appropriate. I don't know what I'm doing as a husband half the time. But then I'm reminded over and over that although I might have what it takes I might not have all that I need to as a husband, but God does. God will work through me. That as I struggle to be a father and I, I don't know how to do this well, as I struggle to even be a pastor, am I leading well? Am I teaching right? Am I doing what I'm supposed to? There are days where I've struggled and maybe you have struggled too as a parent. Maybe you're struggling in your job. Maybe you're struggling finding your place. I wanna just invite you to take a moment and just release that all to God. Release it to him. I had to discover that my value as a husband is found in serving and loving my bride, Courtney, as Christ loves the church and serves the church. I had to discover that my role as a father comes from loving my boys and my little daughter as a father like my father loves me, my heavenly father does. In my role as a pastor, it's not dictated by how many people fill the seats. It's not dictated by how fast my church grows or how, how slow it grows. It's only dictated by how God sees it and when he just says, you did well, my servant, keep going. You see, at the end of the day, it matters whose hands you place things in. It matters whose hands you place things in. If I were to have a basketball up here, I could, I could dribble around and I can shoot and I can play ball and everything, but that basketball is still only worth $25. But you put that same basketball in the hands of Jimmy Butler and he's led the Miami Heat over John's Boston Celtics to a two, two to one series lead right now in the NBA Finals. That basketball is worth $25 million now. You put a football in my hands, I can throw you a touchdown, I can run the field, but put that same football in Tom Brady's hands and that ball is worth hundreds upon hundreds of millions of dollars and way more touchdowns than I can throw. I can't even see over the offensive line. It all matters whose hands you put it in. You put a, you put a wooden rod in my hands, I'm gonna show you some really sweet Donatello Ninja Turtle impersonations. But put that same rod in my boy Moses' hand, he's gonna part the Red Sea. God's people are gonna walk through the dry land and we are gonna see the Egyptian army drowning behind him. It all matters whose hands you put it in. Put a slingshot and some rocks in my hands, I'm gonna break some windows. Put a slingshot and rocks in my boy David's hands, he's gonna slay a giant and to God be the glory. You put nails and a hammer in my hands, I will build you the worst birdhouse you will ever see. 
but put those same nails and the same hammer in my God's hands, he's gonna go to a cross. He's gonna redeem your life. He's gonna transform your life and you're gonna experience salvation and walk in freedom like you've never done before. Because it all matters whose hands you put it in. You put your past trauma, your past hurts, the past inflictions that you've been walking through in life in your hands, you're gonna feel defeated. You're gonna feel exhausted and broken. But put those hurts and that trauma in God's hands and he's gonna make something beautiful from ashes. He's gonna make a life that glorifies him because it all matters whose hands you put it in. It all matters. When we place our past traumas, our past hurts in the hands of the one who can reshape, who can remold, who can redeem, and, they, and he and only he can make something beautiful beyond belief. Because he redeems what was broken and makes it beautiful. Put death in God's hands and he's gonna give you new life. None of us can do that. Because God can redeem your past hurts and trauma for his goodness and his glory. So here's what I want to invite you to do during this next song. There's things that we've been walking with. There's things that we've been holding on to. There's things, if we're being honest, that we even do this in the church. We do this in the church. That we hold on to how things were, how things used to be, the way things used to be done, the way things used to be taught. And we say, but that's the way to do it. And God is inviting us to say, but what if I have something else out there that I'm calling you into, calling you to? Are you willing to release what used to be and how we used to do it in our own mentality? Are you willing to release and let God transform it? We do this not only in our life, but we do this in the church. We do this in our jobs. What if God is calling us to take the posture of releasing control, releasing our grip, and allowing him to redeem and restore what only he can. For a lot of us, that means just taking moments in prayer. Something that I've started to take up doing is journaling. Just three to five minutes. God, I release this to you. God, I release the impact of, of what people think of me as a pastor to you. I release the words of my father to you. God, I release the control of blank to you. You can journal this. You can meet with other people and share this, confess in this, walk with each other in this. But it all starts with the posture of right here, of taking your fists and opening them and releasing them to God. See, if we're unsatisfied with the level of redemption that we've seen in our life, maybe it's time that we stop trying to redeem things on our own and we let God do what he's in the business of doing. So during this next song, we're gonna sing it. And I, I, wanna, I wanna ask you to participate in that. To go to God in prayer. And as we start singing, would you just have the posture of literally having your fist closed and as, as God just is moving in you to release it, let it go. And let God redeem what he is redeeming in your life. To release it so that God can redeem your story. Father, we come before you today and we just know that you are moving. We know that you are a great God. 
Lord, we know that you are asking us and you're calling us and you're moving us to release the broken things in our life, to release the control that we've had for far too long over to you, Lord. And so I ask right now, Lord, that your spirit would move boldly upon us and boldly within us, Lord, that we would release full control, that we would not withhold anything, that we would not try to keep a finger on it or anything, but Lord, that we would fully release it and give it over to you and watch you redeem and restore and renew the broken things in life so that they will always point back to you, Lord. We know that you can make broken things beautiful once again. And so Father, I ask right now that you would go before us, that you would move within us, that you would start to renew and redeem the brokenness in our life to experience the beautiful things that you have for us, Lord. Lord, we give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor to you and your name alone, Lord. You are seated high above everything right now, Lord. Seated, not pacing around, nervous, not curious of what's gonna happen next, that you are seated, confident, knowing that everything is working together for your good and your glory. So Lord, we come to you. We come to you today, right here, right now, and we ask that you would do what you are in the business of doing renew, that you would replace the broken things in our life, that you would redeem the hurts and the traumas. And God, that we would see you move and work in dynamic ways like we've never seen before. Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen.